Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Amen. Thank you, praise team, for that uh, outstanding, outstanding leadership in, uh, in our praise music, and we can't thank you enough. Thank you for the audiovisual who make it possible for us to hear and see all that we need to hear and see. I want to uh, uh, thank Pastor Tom for allowing me the opportunity and privilege of bringing the message uh, again this morning. And we begin by giving you a quiz. If you remember, I was with you three weeks, uh, three months ago. And uh, that, let me see if I've got this right here coming up. What do you fill in the blanks with there? And if you said home, amen. And uh, it's where you belong, right? It's where you belong. And I hope that you resonated with the psalmist, and it's on the uh, screen, big screen back in the narthex, that these words, that you resonated with the psalmist on 122.1, where it says, And I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And another amen. I thought I might share with you, and I'm going to invite you to help me out, and that is, um, in the past several years, I've seen some... some uh, uh, things worthy of taking a picture of. I saw this on the highway in the Detroit area. Have any of you ever seen that truck, Jesus trucking? I thought, wow, that's powerful, even if that's a first name or last name of the operator, just using that. That is so cool. And uh, then I saw, uh, by the way, I, I looked up on the Internet, didn't have time to do a, a lot of searching, but there's a trucking company called Jesus Never Fails. Look that up. I think it was pretty interesting. And then Leanne and I were in a parking lot not too long ago, and we saw this license plate. You've got a friend in Jesus. Never, never expires. Amen. You know, I wanted to also share, have you seen, who's going to invite us if you don't? Uh, George Barna is a Mohatma guru of religious research and uh, one of my favorites, but there's also Pew Research and Lifeway Research. But George Barna did some research and found out that 85% of the people that come to Christ, now here's a multiple choice for you, do you think it's through the pastor, youth pastor, or family and friends? What do you think? Family and friends, right? Amen. So if you take a look at that slide, Who's going to invite us if you don't? And if you remember three months ago when I was with you and brought a message, I shared with you that there are two words that could double the size of this church uh, for the honor and the glory of the Lord. And uh, I shared with you thousands of dollars of seminary, books, tapes, videos, and conferences, and everything on church growth. How many of you remember? Pastor, we've got a lot of work to do, and it's uh, bring someone, amen, amen, bring somebody. And as you recall, we encourage you to uplift Pastor Tom and Mary in your prayers and uh, send them emails and cards and text messages telling them how much you appreciate their ministry here. I know that you are in their prayers, and so uh, keep in mind they're here by divine appointment. They're not here by chance or coincidence but by the hand of Almighty God. So be sure to thank the Lord for them. Let's go to the Father in prayer, shall we? Uh, and so we say, Lord, Lord, just simply thank you 
thank you for who you are, and as we come to you in the busyness of our lives, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and so great a salvation, and thanks for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of people all around the world, and particularly here at church. Lord, thanks for this awesome and incredible congregation. And we also say thank you to Pastor Tom and Mary's ministry here and that you would strengthen them in every way possible as they continue the work that you've called them to do. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that you as Lord and Savior would do some radical heart surgery. Peel Peel back the layers of our calloused hearts, Father, so that they would be, be receptive to you and open our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, that we, that, that we might see and, and hear those truths, those principles, and those insights from your word. And we need to absorb those things, Lord, and uh, apply them to our lives. But more importantly, may we share them with others. For it's the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. As is our custom, and if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's holy word? And I'm going to ask you to do something with me today, and that is, let us, for those of you who can see the screen and see the words, would you read in unison with me our text today? Let us begin. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord is on his heavenly throne, he observes the sons of men, his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Thank you for that fine reading. You may be seated. May the Lord add the blessing to the hearing, the reading, and most importantly, the application of his word this morning. And I've entitled my remarks, What Can the Righteous Do? Now, I don't mean to sound self-righteous, but for the last five years, I have been reading the book of Psalms each month. And so, like, for instance, on day one, I would read uh, Psalms 1 through 5, day 2, Psalm 6 through 10, day 3, 11 to 15. I think you get the picture. And then whatever day it is, I would read the corresponding Proverbs. So for today's the 21st, read the 21st Proverbs in addition to Psalms. And I've been doing that for five years, and uh, it's just part of my habit that I've gotten into, part of my devotional motif, as I have uh, devotions. Obviously, we talk about other scriptures as well. And I've read the chapter that we just read here, that's all of chapter 11, over 50 times. Now, I probably, and, and, and when I read it, those 50 times, it was like reading the other scripture, and it's all important. But about the last fall, 
uh, the Lord seemed to speak to me, and that seemed to jump out at me. What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? And uh, so I, I thought, well, I need to develop a message around that. So I spent several months doing that, and uh, you're the recipients of how the Holy Spirit has directed me. And there's a question embedded in our pericope of Scripture today, and that question, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now keep in mind, this is not David's question. This is, the, the question comes from his adversaries or his advisors, his counselors, his friends. And, uh, but chapter 11 is kind of unique, as all of them are, but it begins in the middle of a conversation. We don't know why it began. We don't know what precipitated it or anything about it, but David puts these words to parchment. And before he even shares anything about what his advisors say, David says, in the Lord, I take refuge. And by the way, this is not a one-time posture or stance for David. If you take a look at Scripture, there are over ten times where David says that he takes refuge in the Lord. And his confidence, his trust is in the Lord. And so we see that as a constant theme for David. And I thought I might share also a couple of other scriptures. The Psalms are filled with this kind of thing. But in uh, chapter 20, David says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And in Psalm 27, David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And after David says the words, in the Lord I take refuge, he shares the recommendation of his friends or his counselors there, and they had given David counsel based on fear rather than faith. Now, it is not entirely clear what prompted David to write this passage. Certainly, there must have been some danger at hand because they are recommending that he flee, that he escape uh, to higher ground, to a mountain. Get out of Dodge, if you will. And the image is not of one retreat again, but, but escape. And so the warning is, need to react to that like a bird. Get to higher ground. But David's confidence, as seen in many scriptures, is in the Bible, in the Lord, I take refuge. And the morning, this morning, I want to focus on the question, what can the righteous do? And I want to share some thoughts, and then at the end, I'm going to give you some things that we can do. And first of all, maybe we ought to define what it means to be righteous. Pastor Tom has talked about that many times in his messages and on Wednesday nights. And uh, so this is an obler, obler, a oversimplification, doing what is morally right and just, being in right standing with God. And Romans chapter 2, verse 13 records these words, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but are those, those who obey the law that are declared to be righteous. How can we be righteous? We are only made righteous in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and what he has done on the cross for each one of us. 
Who is righteous before God? Those of us, again, who have faith in Christ. And we live in a world where people tend to believe that their stuff, what they do apart from Christ, is, 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 qualifies them to be righteous. But in God's eyes, it's not because of our character, our commitment, our choice, or our human achievement that causes us to be righteous. It's only by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. What does God say about those who have self-righteousness? He said all of those righteous in Isaiah 66, 4, that all of them is as filthy rags. And what does God say about righteousness for all of the rest of us who continue to obey his commands? Well, one of the things he says is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And if you remember Pastor Tom's teaching on Wednesday night, he's teaching from the Beatitudes. This is one of the Beatitudes. And I invite you to come on Wednesday nights to hear more from him. And then we also have something that the Lord says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And we also have that further observation, God does not take his eyes off the righteous. You know, as we look at the world today, would you agree with me that the foundations that seem like of every area of society are being eroded, are being in a state of deterioration? And because things are deteriorating, maybe you have asked the question too, what can I do? I'm only one person. Obviously, we need a return to righteousness that's outlined in Scripture. And we need to incorporate godly values and principles in our daily living. And we need to teach and share these things with others. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about righteousness and our responsibilities. And many people look at the world we live in and they say, what is going on? I don't know about you, but it's very easy to look at and see all these things again. But when life becomes overwhelming and we think, of, of what can we do, I want to leave you with this thought. If you don't remember anything else, remember this sentence. There's always something that the righteous can do. There's always something. I was looking for some way to enhance the message today, and I was at the uh, kitchen table, and I just made a prayer. Lord, help me to communicate this. Help me to make it more effective. And you know there's no such thing as coincidence in our lives, right? Amen? Well, just about that time, my son Wade calls. And he's from Grand Rapids. He didn't know I was preaching today, didn't know the text, didn't know the psalm. And he said, Dad, I just heard a song on the radio by Matthew West. He said, have you ever heard of him? And I had to admit I, I hadn't. And he said, well, the song that just played on the radio was called Do Something, and I can't remember all the words. It was just a phenomenal song. I thought of you, and no such thing as coincidence, right? So I went and looked it up, and here are just a couple of lyrics. Listen carefully to them. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, thought, how do we ever get so far down, and how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? 
Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. And I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. I created you. Just in the past couple of years, maybe you've asked, what in the world can I do about a pandemic that shuts down my business? What can I do about a pandemic that disrupts my church? What can I do about a pandemic that sends my kids home for an extended staycation? My grandson missed his entire junior year of school, and I think all of you remember how important and, and how you enjoyed probably your junior and senior years. What can I do about chaos and crime and corruption? However, however you think about these things, they can be so overwhelming that, well, you know, just going to the grocery store can be overwhelming at times. And if that's not enough, what can I do about a failing economy? What can I do about a failure in government leadership at all levels that have been occurring for many years? What do I do about evil that's ram running rampant in the world today? And if I told you and you were overwhelmed, and what can you do? And I've got good news for you. You know what Jesus says about all these things? He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. They're not yours to solve. And church, I've come to tell you that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. That means our God, the one true God, the awesome God, the God that made heaven and earth. He is the one who has already overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. He has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has already defeated sin and sickness and disease. He has already overwhelmed your sorrow and given you the fullness of joy and peace. He has signed and sealed and delivered his promises with the signature of his son written on the blood at Calvary. And uh, he has not forsaken his word. He has not forsaken you. And the Bible describes clearly, I think, the events that transpire in the end times. And I believe that we're living in the last days as you take a look at the events and things that are happening in the world. And uh, summing up the totality of Scripture as to all the things that occur, evil is permeating every arena and area of our society. And the Bible says that you who love the Lord, take a stand in the evil day. And this, and this is an evil day, right? This is an evil day when darkness seems to run rampant throughout our world. And, uh, but you know the thing about darkness? It was defeated in Genesis. It was defeated when Jesus went to the cross when he said it is finished. And it was uh, darkness has been so decimated that the New Testament says that Jesus made a public spectacle of worldly powers and principalities. I believe that Jesus is asking the same question in heaven that we're asking today, only with a different emphasis. When uh, the advisors and counselors talking to David, what can the righteous do? They're doing it with a negative attitude. How about if we look at it from a different standpoint? What can the righteous do when they know that I'll never leave or nor forsake them? What can the righteous do when they stand on my promises? What can the righteous do when they are armed with my sword? You know, the word of truth. What can the righteous do when they remember that I have promised to supply all of their need? What can the righteous do when they put on my whole armor? What can the righteous do when they go forth in my strength? 
And I think all of you remember Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. How many things? All things. And uh, what can the righteous do when they remember that nothing, nothing is impossible with God? For the time remaining, I want to touch base on maybe three major areas where we see foundations crumbling and being destroyed. The family, the church, and the nation. And family values have been eroding for a long time. Would you agree? The family has been under attack. And the devil is going full, uh, full steam ahead to attack the family. And you might say, why? Well, because the family social structure, including marriage, is the first institution ordained by God, and the devil wants to take out anything that has God's stamp of approval on it and wants to destroy it. There's a portion of Scripture that I affectionately call the Magna Carta of the home. I think it's worth reviewing this morning. And the Lord speaking through Moses, you know where the passage is found, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And you remember earlier this summer, Sue Gibson read it from the pulpit. And uh, it begins with what we call the Shema. It means to hear. Um, it means to listen up and pay attention. And that, those words are, hear, O Israel. And contemporary language, we might say, hear, O West Highland. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That sounds like constant, doesn't it? Well, when Leanne and I were in Jerusalem in 2008, I was at the Wailing Wall, and I saw this individual with a prayer shawl on, and he has a box on his forehead that's called a phylactery or teflon. And the Orthodox Jews take this passage of Scripture literally. And so within that box on his head, there are four compartments, and they have various Scriptures from Exodus and Deuteronomy therein. And then there's a, another picture that I took of a rabbi with his student. And if you take a look right, let's see if I can get this pointer to work in. Right there's a box. And that box then is strapped to the arm. And the indication is that in a posture of prayer, this box on the arm that has scripture in it, and the box on the head in a posture of prayer, these things are near their heart, close to the Lord. And then, fulfilling uh, the other part of that verse, the last part, we have what is known as a mezuzah uh, that the Orthodox Jews put on the door frames of their houses, and they also have Scripture written in those boxes as well. Now, the Reformed Jews believe these things are symbolic, that you don't have to put something on your head, that that simply means that you are to remember, you are to memorize those things of God. And the things of being on your arms, 
That is so that you can articulate, so that you can write those things down. And your arms and your hands are used for service, and we need to be of service to the Lord. And so, at any rate, think on those scriptures and uh, uh, write them down. Again, Magna Carta of the home. That's my affection. You won't find that in any Bible. I remember talking about spiritual things to my boys back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, if there was something happening at church, we were there. If there was something happening of any religious nature, we were there. And my boys loved to play soccer. And they wanted to play during the summer this one league, and the coach wanted to have practice on Sunday mornings. And I went up and told the coach, I asked the coach, I said, could we have practice on another day? I said, we, we worship the Lord. We go to church on Sunday mornings. He says, no, he says, that works the best for me. He says, I want to have practice on Sunday morning. And Derek looked at me and says, Dad, we'll find another coach. And so we did. We found another coach that had practice at another time. And uh, then there was a... Uh, but, you know, I was surprised and amazed that 35 years ago, the number of parents who allowed other things to precede church activities, worshiping the Lord. And my oldest son, Wade, wanted to participate in the uh, graduation, the senior all-night party on a Saturday night. And I said, fine, as long as you get up and go to church next morning. Dad, give me a break. I've been to church every day of my life on Sundays. Can't I miss one? And uh, I said to him, well, your mom and I are going to be chaperones. What? He didn't want a chaperone, didn't want his mom and dad there. And I said, no, you won't even see us. We'll be in the shadows. But the idea is we're going to be there all night just like you. And we're going to get up and we're going to be in church. And if we can do it, you can do it. End of conversation. You know, if we think about the family, we're not living in a leave-it-to-beaver era anymore or happy days with the fawns. I think the better description would be desperate housewives or desperate husbands. That's my personal take. When I retired in 2005, many of my students were from broken or blended homes and when I began a new semester, I would always give them a little bit of autobiography of myself, and I would never forgot the remarks in 05 when I shared with them that my wife and I had been married for 36 years. And I've never forgotten this kid in the back of the room named Matt. He raised his hand, and I said, Matt? He said, Mr. Lowry, to the same woman? <laughs> to him, that was a serious question. He didn't ask it to be funny. It was serious to him. Well, you know, how about, how about our churches? How about our churches? Most churches in America are a mirror image of society. In other words, there's little difference between people in the church and people of the world. Why? Why is this? You know, as Christ followers, as ambassadors of Jesus, why aren't our lives lived in such a way that people would want what we have. Why aren't they standing in line on Sunday mornings outside those doors waiting to get in like people going to a concert? Why? Why? Instead of us asking people to come to church, why aren't they knocking on our doors? I think the answer is fairly simple. They don't see any difference. They don't see any difference. We should have the peace the joy, the love, the forgiveness, 
uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control of such magnitude that they would be asking, how do you do that? I want what you have. And uh, why does that happen? You know, during my last year of teaching, I had a student come up to my desk with, well, a question. And for 25 years, I always had my Bible laying on my desk at Milford High School. Never had it open during class. And this student picked up my Bible. And he says, Mr. Lowry, he says, what's this? I said, well, that's the Holy Bible. He said, what's that? He didn't even know what a Bible was. Sad, isn't it? Sad commentary on our society. Hey, how about our nation? How about our nation? Would you agree that, well, you don't have to agree. This is scripture, so you have to agree with it. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Or we could say, blessed is a nation whose God, you're right, Jake. This is sensitive. <laughs> At any rate, you understand those scriptures, I think. But, you know, could any of you deny that it seems like the foundations of America is being destroyed? As we have examined our country in recent memory, we have destruction of property, chaos, looting, rioting, lawlessness of unprecedented proportions. What has happened? Some look to politicians and government for solutions to our problems, but I think all of you know that our solutions are not found in the legislative, the executive, or judicial branches. They're not found in the platforms of the donkey, the elephant, but we need to look to the platform of the lamb. Amen to that. You know, in 13 weeks, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And as we look forward to that, we're reminded 400 years ago, pilgrims coming to America, founded exclusively on biblical principles. I don't know about you, but I think that we are second only to Israel, enjoying the blessings of Almighty God and His sovereignty and divine hand upon our country and uh, our Constitution, uh, because of those principles, by the way. Our Constitution was crafted specifically to limit the scope of government and infringing upon our individual liberties, including uh, religious freedom. And I just saw this last week that in Texas there was a school board that had removed the Bible to examine it to see if it was worthy to be in the library. Pathetic. The doors of America has always been open to those from anyone in the world who wanted to come here legally and work and contribute and assimilate into our society. Our country seems to be spiraling out of control into the abyss. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten God. That's my assessment. The Lord has been left out of every arena that our forefathers included in the founding of our country. Do you remember what Scripture says to those people who forget God? There are serious consequences. And in Romans, we are told that one of the consequences, he just leaves us, just steps back, said, okay, have it your way. You left me out. I'm not going to intervene. And uh, leaves us to our own ways. And uh, the Bible has a prescription for these things. You know it. I'm an optimist. I like to think there's hope. And so God gives us hope in Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people do four things, 
if they will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then he says, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to hear, I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to heal. That's the solution. Well, let's go back to the question that David asked. When the foundations are crumbling, what can the righteous do? And by the way, uh, if you don't know this, my messages are never complete. They're never complete. It's you who write the ending with your lives, the epilogue of your lives as led by the Holy Spirit. When you leave here today, you're going to think of some responses that I didn't include. This is not an all-inclusive list of some things that the righteous can do. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you in all truth. One of the things I think Jesus tells us is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto you. I don't know about you, but I do a poor job of that. Much of the time, I seek my stuff. I seek my stuff, and I'm constantly having to say, Lord, forgive me. How about this one? Do we do this one? Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You remember Pastor Tom used that scripture from the baptism last week when we had our baptismal service. May we say like David, in the Lord I take refuge and resonate with what Joshua said. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And what's the first and greatest commandment? Pastor Tom has articulated this so many times that you have it memorized in his last 16 years with us, and that is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if we just did those two things, I think we could turn our community around, our state around, our nation around, our world around if we just did those two things. The Bible tells us to be the salt of the world and light of the world. How are we doing on that? On a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing about that? And I'm planning a message in the near future, how bright is your light? That has nothing to do with your intelligence. That's talking about the light shining and reflecting Christ. And how about this one? How about bearing fruit? Pastor Tom talked about this when we were in John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 5 says... I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And three verses down, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So how much fruit are we bearing? A little bit, some, much, not enough. You evaluate that. How about prayer? How much time do we invest in prayer as we come before the throne each day asking God for his blessings, asking God to forgive us, asking God to heal our nation. I don't know about you, but I don't spend enough. And oftentimes our prayers are a little more than I, now I lay me down to sleep or for our food. God is great. God is good. Thank him for the food we eat. A little more prayers than that. I read in a biography of uh, Martin Luther once, and he, he had a a full day ahead of him, and his servant says, well, Martin, what's first on the agenda? I know that your agenda is packed. And Martin says, I've got so much on my plate today, I've got to spend the first hour in prayer. I need the Lord's help, guidance, wisdom, 
and direction for these things. How about this? You've heard of the initial WWJD, what would Jesus do? How do we know what would Jesus do? Well, it's in here. And once we read the word, when we understand what Jesus would do, then I think that we need to activate the initials WDWJWD. Do what Jesus would do. We need to act upon our faith. How about this one? You probably haven't thought about this, but Isaiah talks about a watchman. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. Take a look at that last sentence. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. Do we keep silent? Or do we proclaim Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior? And how about uh, this one? Have you blessed Israel? Have you prayed for Israel? Have you prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? Remember what the Lord tells Abraham back in chapter 12 of uh, Genesis. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And all of us know the, the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, doesn't he? And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, tells us how to do that. It says, start right where you are, right in Jerusalem. Then go to Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. We keep enlarging the circle. We keep telling others and says, you will be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who tells something. Are we telling others about Jesus? And the final question that I have and leave with you this morning is this. Do others see Jesus living in us? We need to make an impact in the world for Christ. And so as I close, I share these words. If you have never invited Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior of your life, may I respectfully encourage you to touch base with Pastor Tom, one of the elders or other spiritual leader here at West Highland. Why? Because your eternal destiny depends on what you do with Jesus. And I think we all need to remember that each of us is only a heartbeat away from eternity. Do you know when that final heartbeat is going to be for you? Pastor uh, Reverend Dr. Wilbert Goff went home to be with the Lord last Saturday. And uh, that was uh, after 104 years. I had a pastor friend of mine in Indiana that went home to be with the Lord yesterday. And all of us know someone. We never know when that's going to be, so it's going to be so important for you to evaluate that. And I hope that you will make a decision for Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you know, God, there are just so many times because of, because of things that are happening on this planet that, that we see, the, I think, the very fabric of society being ripped and torn apart. But God, uh, help us to remember that regardless of the circumstances, situation, or events that we're facing, that our hope and trust is in you and your word. And Lord, when our hearts start to fear and we cry out in despair, help us to refocus and to say as David said, in the Lord I take refuge. I take refuge. 
And let us stand firm and fast on your eternal truths. And Lord, remember that you are in total control. And Lord, as West Highland continues uh, its spiritual journey and faith pilgrimage, I pray that others would be added to the kingdom because of uh, our faithful witness and testimony. May we be a beacon here within the community. May we be salt of the earth. May we reflect your light and that others would acknowledge you and again come into the kingdom. And for these things we pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And all of God's people said, Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing hymn? To God be the glory. Praise the Lord. Let the earth see what he has done. And we are part of the people to share what the Lord hath done. I'm going to close with what uh, Moses shared with the people. And it's that famous priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Shalom.